for anyone who's 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 asking what it is that we're doing here we're engaging in what we call a meditational reading where we're just simply reading through scripture and we're prayerfully asking three questions what is god revealing concerning himself what is god revealing concerning people and what is god revealing concerning me these are the three questions that we'll be asking my primary objective here um, as we engage in God's word, my primary objective is is to just expose you to the totality of scripture. I want every believer to read the entire scripture. I want to see every believer and I want to know that every believer has read through the entire Bible because often what gets lost is at least among Christians. And the reason why there's so much pain and, and, and hurt um, um, from Christians who either fall into false teaching or where the Bible has been used in an oppressive way is because... We haven't read it for ourselves. We're letting other people tell us what the Bible says. And so my primary objective is just for you to read it. Um, and that's what we're here to do. We want to read it. And then not only do we want to read it, but then we want to just prayerfully ask God to speak to us through the reading because God's not here to just intellectually disseminate information to us. It's that it's that uh, God wants to speak to us through his word. And that's why his word is relevant today for us today. And so I, I do maybe give a little bit of perspective. This isn't a Bible study. This is simply a reading, but sometimes I have to give a little bit of a background to help maybe uh, in your posture of how you read it, but I'm not here to go through an entire exposition or an exegesis of the text, but rather I just want to just sit down and just read the word with you. That's my priority here. And then afterwards we go through a rant. And the rant is just me just sharing what God is speaking in, into me in this moment. I really have nothing prepared. I just want to hear what God has to say today. And I pray that it would encourage you. I pray it would convict you, whatever it is that it would do. But let this moment be a time where we would be blessed by the word in the presence of God, being inspired by the Holy Spirit as we read his word. So, um... Now, prayerfully, my boys, I told my boys now to jump on as well. I've got a six-year-old and a nine-year-old and uh, love the two of them. And now I have a two-and-a-half-week-old. Oh, no, wait, yeah, two-week-old. Um, and so, man, time is flying. Um, and so uh, uh, we are, I want them all to also spend this time as well with us. So we're all gathering together as a family to read the word of God. And I and I pray that this would be an encouragement to you. Three three weeks. Thank you, Va. Oh, God. I, I'm losing track. It's been three weeks already. Wow. Time flies. Um, three weeks today. Um, and so, uh, guys, let us engage in the word. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would be with us, Lord, as we uh, read your word. I just pray, Lord, that you would inspire us, Lord, by your spirit as we read your word. Um, inspire us, Lord, with the truth of who you are. Reveal your heart. Reveal your plan. Reveal your mission. Reveal your desire to us. We know, Lord, that your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts are above our thoughts. So we submit this time to you. Um, Lord, speak to us, empty us. Let us not insert ourselves into the scripture, but let us allow the scripture to exegete us and to remove from us things that need to be removed to, uh, Lord, to encourage us where we need encouragement, to inspire us where we need to be inspired. And, and Lord, I just pray, Lord, for revelation, Lord God. I pray for liberation, that we'd be free from whatever was said to us about the word and and instead to read it for ourselves and to be exposed to it for ourselves. And we ask that in your name we pray, amen. Let's do it. Let's get right into it. Numbers chapter seven, and it says this. Now it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle that he anointed it 
and consecrated it and all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's houses, who were the leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered, made an offering. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and 12 oxen, a card for every two of the leaders and for each one an ox. And they presented them before the tabernacle. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, accept these from them, that they have been used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service. And four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But the sons of Kohath he gave none because theirs was, ser- theirs was the service of holy things, which they carried on their shoulders. Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered an, their offering before the altar. For the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offering one leader each day for the dedication of the altar. And the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab of the tribe from the tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of the flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering one kid of the goats as a sin offering and for the and for the sacrifice of peace offerings two oxen five rams five male goats and five male lambs in their first year this was the offering of Nashon the son of Amminadab on the second day Nathaniel the son of Zoar leader of Issachar or Issachar however way you want to pronounce it presented an offering for his offering he offered one silver platter the weight of which was 130 shekels and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nathanael, the son of Zoar. On the third day, Eliab, the son of Helon, leader of the children of Zebulon, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in the first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and for their sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Eliab, son of Helon. On the fourth day, Eleazar, the son of Shadur, leader of the children of Reuben, presented an offering. 
His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering and the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Eleazar, the son of Shudder. On the fifth day, Shelemiel, the son of Zerushadai, leader of the children of Simeon, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, as, and as the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five ram, five male goats, five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Shal- Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai. On the sixth day, Eliasaph, the son of Deuel, the leader of the children of God, of Gad, <laughs> children of God, children of Gad, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in the first year. This was the offering of Eliasaph, son of Deuel. On the seventh day, Elishama, the son of Amihud, the leader of the children of Ephraim, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in the first year. This was the offering of Elishama, the son of Emihud. On the eighth day, Gamaliel, the son of Pedazar, the leader of the children of Manasseh, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them, full of fine flour, mixed as a grain offering, one gold pan of ten shekels, full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first offering as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and the offerings of peace offerings, two oxen, five ram, five male goats, and five lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Pedasar. On the ninth day, Abidan, the son of uh, Gideonai, the leader of the children of Benjamin presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, 
and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in the first year. This was the offering of Abidan, the son of Gideonai. On the tenth day, Ahazer, the son of Amishadai, the leader of the children of Dan, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels, full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five ram, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Hazer, the son of Amishadai. On the eleventh day, Pagiel, the son of Okran, the leader of the children of Asher, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as the offering of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Okrin. On the twelfth day, Ahira, the son of Enan, the leader of the children of Naphtali, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pen of 10 shekels, full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Ahira, the son of Anon. This was the dedication offering of the altar of the leaders of Israel when it was, appoint when it was appointed. 12 silver platters, 12 silver bowls, and 12 gold pans. Each silver platter weighed 130 shekels and each bowl 70 shekels. All the silver of the vessels weighed 2,400 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The 12 gold pans of incense weighed 10 shekels apiece, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the pans weighed 120 shekels. All the oxen of the, for the burnt offering were 12 young bulls, 12 rams. Sorry, verse 87. All the oxen of the burnt offering were 12 young bulls, the rams 12, the male lambs in their first year 12, with the grain offering, and the kids of the goats as a sin offering 12. And all the oxen of the sacrifice of peace offerings were 24 bulls, the rams 60, the male goats 60, and the lambs of their first year 60. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed.
Now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony in, uh, from between the two cherubim. Thus he spoke to him. Numbers chapter eight. Let's do that. Let's knock it out. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face towards the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this workmanship of, of the lampstand was hammered gold. From its shaft to its flowers, it was hammered work. According to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstand. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purification on them and let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil and take another young bull as a sin offering and you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel. And you shall bring the Levites before the Lord and the children of Israel and lay their hands. Uh, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Hmm. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel, that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls. And you shall offer as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. <laughs> and you shall stand and you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Thus, you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. After that, the Levites shall go into the, the service of the tabernacle. So you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead, for, uh, instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel. For all the firstborn from among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. Hmm. I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement for the children of Israel. There will be that there shall be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. Thus, Moses and Aaron, all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So the children of Israel did to them and the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord and Aaron made atonement for them and cleansed them. After that, the Levites went in to do their work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So they did to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is what pertains to the Levites. 
from 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform the service in the work of the tabernacle of meaning. At the age of 50 years, they must cease performing the work and shall work no more. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meaning to attend to needs, but they themselves shall not do work. Thus, you shall do to the Levites according to their duties. Numbers 9. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year, and they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel keep their Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at the appointed time. According to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did. Now there was a certain man. Sorry. Now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse. So they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. These men said to him, we became defiled by human corpse, by human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? And Moses said to them, stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Hmm. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if anyone, if any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. They may keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break any one of its bones. According to the ordinance of the Passover, they shall keep it. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off among the people because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man shall bear sin. There's so much there. And if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover and according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance for both the stranger and the native of the land. <laughs> now on the day of the tab now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle the tent of testimony from evening until morning. It was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always the Lord covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up above the tabernacle after the children of Israel would journey and in the place where the cloud settled, where the children of Israel would pitch their tents at the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. 
and according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. <laughs> so it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, they would journey. Whether by day or night, whether the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, a year, and the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Hmm. <sighs> There's a lot here. There's so much here. Family, this is what we do every morning. If you are here for the first time and you're wondering what it is that we do at 8 a.m., we come together sometimes in worship and then we spend time in the reading of the word. We spend about 20 to 30 minutes every weekday morning reading through scripture. My goal is to uh, is to journey with you through the entire Bible. I'm reading through the entire Bible with you all that you all can say when it is all said and done that you have read through the entire Bible. Many Christians cannot make that attestation. Many Christians cannot say that they've read through the entire Bible. Part of it is because we haven't implored them to. Another part is because it's intimidating. And another part is because you'll feel like it's a lot to get through. But guys, just simply through these 20, 30 minutes a day that we've been spending in reading the word, we've gone through the entire New Testament. And now we're reading through the, New, through the Old Testament. We've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now we just finished Numbers chapter 9. And, and so I, and, and what I hope is happening and I'm hearing, I'm getting messages from you guys either on IG or, um, I, I really can't keep up with the TikTok messages uh, anymore, but especially on IG, I get, you know, messages from you guys saying this has been life changing for you. Um, it's been life changing for you because now you're actually reading the word just from what the word is saying rather than what somebody is telling you about what the Bible says. Um, I'm here to reflect on it. Um, I'm not here to, to be the end all be all. I'm just here sharing the thoughts that the Lord has given me. And the other thing I think that's happening as well is, is that for many of you, you are beginning to learn how to read the Bible um, with the right posture. Uh, to read the Bible with the right perspective. Uh, and, and, and when you begin to read the whole thing, things that didn't connect begin to connect, right? Things that didn't align begin to align. And, and so that's what I'm hoping is happening. Uh, you guys uh, are on a journey with me and it's a journey that I engage in regularly. I don't know if we're going to get through the entire Bible, but uh, of course, Ellison says I read for an hour. Of course, Ellison says I read for an hour. I read for 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes, and then I rant for another 20 to 30 minutes. So it comes out to about an hour. So yes, uh, that was my son. He's like, no, dad, you read for an hour. Yeah, okay. Um, but 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 all that is to say, family, is there is a there's power in reading through the entire Bible on a broad level, 
to understand it from a big picture perspective. And then afterwards to then dig in from a very uh, specific perspective. We don't go into biblical nuances until we've read the whole thing. Because when you don't read the whole thing and you don't get the big picture, you're not going to evaluate the verses in the scripture well. Um, And that's why I'm reading the whole thing with you guys. And I've been giving you the big picture, the big picture of Genesis, that the, the, the fall of man and God promising to restore mankind through a family, the family of Abraham, the children of Abraham. That's Genesis. Genesis ends with them going to Egypt from Egypt. Genesis ends with them going to Egypt. Exodus begins with them spending too much time in Egypt and they have fallen into captivity in Egypt. Moses was called among them to lead them out of Egypt. So Exodus is them being drawn out of Egypt. And in Exodus, they establish a covenant with God. The covenant that was made with Abraham has now been reinstituted through these children. Because again, this is the promise of God continuing through his children. This children now has become a nation of people. And so in Exodus, at Mount Sinai, a covenant was made. Remember, a covenant is a contract. And I said this, uh, I think I said this uh, last week, but I'll say it again. That covenant, the covenant is not the law. Okay? The covenant is not the law. A covenant is a contract. The law was how they would go about fulfilling the contract. And so the law now, the covenant was that they would be a people set aside to be holy, that they would be a people who would be separate from the rest of the world, who would be a nation of priests that would mediate for God for to the world. They would serve in all humility to bring the the kingdom of God to earth, to restore all things and to make all things new. God was calling this family to do this to institute this and now this family has become a nation through them god's righteousness would be reinstituted god's justice would be established that was the narrative notice what i've said up to this point is when you read the scriptures now you're not reading it putting yourself into it and that's the mistake we make we put ourselves in the bible and we put ourselves in the text this the 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 law and the covenant that was made was not made to you It was not made to Christians. It was not made to your family. It was not made to you. It was made to the children of Israel. So Exodus, the laws in Exodus, after the covenant is made, because the covenant was made between the children of Israel and God to be the agents of righteousness and justice on the earth, to reconcile all men to God, to, to bring all the nations and all humanity to, to bring them back into right standing with God. They were the mediators. This is the law that they would follow. The Ten Commandments is the law that they would follow. Notice what I said there, they. The Ten Commandments, while are morally of value, were not written directly to Christians. Okay? The Ten Commandments were not written to Christians. As a matter of fact, all the laws that we've been reading up to this point have not been written to Christians. They were not written to you. He said, well, Leviticus says that we ought to. Don't say we. Are you, are you guys hearing me? Well, he would say, well, in Exodus chapter 20, verse this, it says that we ought to. No, it did not say we ought to. It was a commandment written to the children of God. 
written to, sorry, not to the children of God, written to the children of Israel. Okay? Don't put we into it. And this was written to us. It, it was not written to us. However, it was written for us. The law was intended to shape the children of Israel to become the nation of priests that God called them to be. Are you with me so far? So now they're at Mount Sinai. They make the covenant with God. The children of Israel, remember, we're not inserting, we're, we're, we're observing. This is what we're doing right now. We're observing the story and the narrative of God through these people so that we can understand what implications they have for us. What does that mean for us? We're not there yet. We're not going to be there probably for a while, but let's just back up to make sure we have the bigger picture. Exactly. The bigger picture, the nature of God, the, the, the relationship between God and man. We need more of that. We need to have better understanding of that. So now, so now at Mount Sinai, they make the covenant with God. They receive the law and this law is still being built up. Notice they didn't receive the totality of the law there. It was still being built up and developed. And at Mount Sinai, they make the contract with God. After they make the contract with God, we know they disobeyed God. God said that they can go to the land that was promised to them, but he would not go with them. They, they implored God and said, no, we need your presence. If your presence, Moses, who, who was the voice of the people said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not leaving this mountain. We're not leaving here until we know that your presence is with us. And finally, God promises his presence. God promised his presence said, I will be with you. My presence will go with you. Here's the thing though. They had the presence of God, but they were not in the presence of God. How do we know that? Because Exodus ends with Moses, with them building the tabernacle, which, which represented the very presence of God. The tabernacle was the representation of the presence of God. And yet they could not enter into the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter into the tabernacle. Leviticus opens up with them not being able to enter into the tabernacle. They could not enter into the representation of the presence of God, symbolizing to us that there was that, that there was sin in them, unrighteousness in them, unholiness that did not allow them into the presence of God. And so what Leviticus is, Leviticus was a book that was written to institute in the law how the children of Israel, how God's people, how God's unholy, unrighteous people can enter into the into his presence. They were they were unholy, they were unrighteous, but God through the through through the institution of the sacrifice of atonement, through the law, through blood sacrifice, he would allow an unholy people to enter into his presence. This was God's plan. This was in the law. Notice now that the law was not simply the law does not kill them, but the law actually in it gives them access back into the presence of God. Leviticus is the law that gave the children of Israel access back into the presence. And then they, and, and so through the institution of that law and through the sacrifice, the sacrificial law, by sacrificing to animals, by, sac by the blood sacrifice of animals, they, even though they were sinful, unrighteous people, where the sin was transferred to the animal, the price was paid, and and by doing so gave them access back into the presence of God. And they would do this on a regular. Every time they would approach God, they would come to God sinful, 
the priests would in institute the sacrifice and then they would see themselves as sinless because the, the, the price was already paid. The sins were transferred onto the animal. It was paid for by the sacrifice of the priests of, 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 of the, the, the animal. And then their sins would be absolved. And this is who, who says this? God says this. God is the one that gave them this institution. God is the one that gave them the institution. So it wasn't how good they were. It wasn't how good they acted. It wasn't how good they behaved. It was simply that they had a priest who mediated for them and the sacrifice was made for them. I know we talked about this. That's why I'm going through this quickly. I don't have time to break all that down. I just want to make sure I'm giving you the big picture. But notice though, that through Exodus, at halfway through Exodus, right? When they get to Mount Sinai, and all this is transpiring at Mount Sinai. Leviticus, we read, all that's happening in Leviticus is happening at Mount Sinai. They have not left the mountain yet. Then we get into Numbers, and in Numbers now, they're getting ready to leave. So throughout a period of about a year, these people stayed at Mount Sinai to get things right. Getting things right was not them being better people. Getting these right is to understand what God wanted from them. Notice now, it's not us now, it's them. Because this is the story that God is writing through these people. And so now that we're in Numbers, we get to, to the book of Numbers and we see now the census was made and among them, God called the Levites. The Levites those who came from the tribe of Levi were called because of the absence of, 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 of the priests that came in and defiled the temple of God by bringing their fire into the, into the, the temple because God's not playing with his presence. There were no priests who would be able to perform the sacrifices for the people. And there were no priests who would mediate for God and the people. And so because there were no priests to do that, and there were no priests who were there to administrate the temple, these people, remember, are at Mount Sinai. They're going to go from place to place to place. They're going to break camp and go, right, to the land that was promised to them. Remember, they're in the wilderness. They're, they're in between Egypt and the promised land. And so they have a they have a journey ahead of them. And so they're going to break camp to go on the journey to the promised land. But if they're going to go on the journey to the promised land, they're going to need to carry the presence of God with them. And so the tabernacle had to be torn down and built back up. Every time they got to a specific place, they knew once we arrive there, the tabernacle now is built again, is, 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 is rebuilt. It was a portable tabernacle, but the tabernacle remained at the center wherever they went. Why is this important, family? It's important because it says two things. First, they took the presence of God very seriously. The children of Israel took the presence of God very seriously. So much so that they would not leave unless they knew the presence was with them. 
But the problem is, is that the tabernacle that represented the very presence of God, there was no one to actually carry it. There was no one to carry the presence of God from one place to another. There was no one to carry the tabernacle. And so God calls one of the tribes among the 12 of Levi. Remember the 12 sons of Israel, Levi. Again, this is all just a quick review. God calls a family among them to carry it and to administrate the presence of God. They were the Levites. And so we ended yesterday with the Levites and the calling on the Levites. They have not gone up yet. They're just preparing to go. Okay. They haven't done it yet. They haven't left yet. They're getting ready to go. And yet they're preparing because they know if we leave, we need to carry the presence, but we need someone to carry the presence for us. That speaks into something family that the priests of God are not only the mediators, but the priests of God carry the very presence of God as a priest. You carry the presence of God. Now I'm cheating a little bit family. Okay. I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm, I'm talking to you based off of what the Lord is speaking into my heart today. Okay. I'm talking to you based off of what the Lord is speaking to me and I'm being reminded again. And I think I'm going to keep going back to, to second Peter, to first Peter and to second Peter. But in first Peter uh, chapter two, he says, you are the royal priesthood. Now, it wasn't just the children of Israel who were the royal priesthood. It wasn't just the Hebrews who were the royal priesthood. But now it's Peter speaking to the entire body, the community by faith, who now have taken on the task and the duty of being the priests of God. Now, the priests who carry the presence of God, they carry it by faith. And so as a priest, if I'm a priest and if you're a priest, because that's what he's saying. He's saying we're all priests. Notice now, it isn't just some guy who has some position. It isn't just some guy who's wearing a collar. It isn't just some guy who somehow is set aside, who's above other Christians. That culture needs to stop. Okay. That isn't even biblical family. I know I'm going to sound a little tough and I'm going to sound a little rough uh, when I say this, but we have created within the church a culture where the pastor is somehow above you know, all the other believers and how like the pastor somehow is closer to God, right? That the pastor is somehow closer to God or the pastor has some kind of access that the other people do not have. Or, you know, if it isn't a pastor in your, it's the bishop or it's the apostle, or for some of you, it's the, um, it's the priest. And so we've created a culture where we have to go to a priest to get to God. That's why you find even in the Catholic church, People go to priests and they make confessions to priests as if they did not have access to God directly for themselves. The veil was torn family. There's no, there's no separation between man and God. Christ now, who is our mediator and us being in Christ gives us access, direct access to God. That's, that's side note. We, we talked about this. If you want to go to that, go to that reading rant, but we have access to God. We all by faith have access to God, direct access to God. Now, if you have direct access to God, ready for this? You are a priest. 
You are a priest. You are a priest. Just, just soak on that for a minute. You said, but I'm not wearing the collar and I don't have the priestly garb and I don't have, that's not what made you a priest. You are a priest by faith in Christ. The scriptures say in first Peter that you are the royal priesthood. He says, you are the royal priesthood. You are, you are a nation of priests. There's no middleman between men or women to God. We have direct access to God. You are priests. Okay, let me give you one more. I'm ranting now. You guys know I rant, so that's what I'm going to do. Let me rant real quick. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, And he called some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. For what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Did you hear that? The pastors, the evangelists, the prophets, the teachers of scripture, they were called to equip the priests. Do you understand? We have direct access to God. The pastors and the priests who've been set aside to do the work of ministry. They're set aside simply to equip you in how you carry the presence of God in how you do ministry. Because as a minister, you're doing ministry every day. If you're a doctor, you're doing ministry. If you're a businessman, you're doing ministry. If you're a janitor, you're doing ministry. If you work at McDonald's, you're doing ministry. You are a priest. No man is above you. But we create this culture, right? where we make pastors somehow a little bit higher, or we make priests somehow a little bit higher, who have some kind of access that we do not, and they, they're, they, they're closer to God. I mean, he was saying, well, Pastor Isaac, you know, Pastor Isaac, you're closer to God than me. Can you tell God some things for me? Because, uh, what? No, I'm not closer to God than you. If I'm closer to God than you, it's only because I spend more time with him. Not because I have some kind of title above you or anything like that. You have the same access to God that I have. Every single one of you here has the same access to God that I have. Every man and every woman here has the same access to God. Okay. So now I'm, I want to go back though, because notice, notice here that these people have not left because the priests have not been instituted yet to carry the presence of God. Okay, to carry the tabernacle, the very presence of God. And so um, in Leviticus 6, right, we, we learned that they were called, they were instructed, they, they were delegated among the Levites who were now the carriers of the presence, how they would go about carrying it, who takes what, how it's, you know, who administrates what in, in the presence. And, and so now we finally get here finally here. Oh goodness. It's already almost nine guys. I'm going to go a little over, but stay with me a little bit. Okay. Cause I want to make sure you get that in numbers chapter seven. Now, before they leave every one of the leaders of the tribes, because now the tribe of Levi has been set aside to do the work. Now the other tribes have been instituted and the leaders of those tribes have been instituted. And each one brings an offering. Now, if you were reading number seven with me, 
it sounded very redundant. And, I, and this is something, because remember, I'm praying. And as I'm praying, I'm asking God, God, what are you revealing to me today concerning you? What are you revealing to me today concerning people? What are you revealing to me today concerning me? And what I found peculiar as I was reading, because you say, well, I, you don't really see much in Numbers chapter 7, because all it was was a description of the offerings that the leaders gave to God. They came to the temple with the offering. And what were they? Silver platter, silver bowl, gold pan, flour and oil. Right? Then you had the sin offerings and the peace offerings. Right? Goats, rams, bulls. And I read this, and if you read the first one, you go, okay. Then you read the second one, and you go, okay. Sounds like the first one. You get to the third one, you're like, okay. Sounds like the first two. You get to the fourth one, you're like, these all sound the same. I don't know if anybody caught that. They all sound the same. This sounds very repetitive. And at the at the all right, Melody, see you. Um, and at the end, he says this in verse 84 in Numbers chapter 7. He says, This was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed. Twelve silver platters, twelve silver bowls, and twelve gold pans. Each silver platter weighed 130 shekels, each bowl weighed 70 shekels, and the silver vessels in total weighed 2,400 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. I read that and I go, why didn't the writer just say that? That was the one thing that was dominating my spirit as I was reading today. And there's another point, which I hope, hope hopefully I'll get there. But now I'm in number seven and I'm looking at this and I'm going, why? I mean, this chapter seems long for no reason. Maybe it's just me. Like, like why? I don't know if it's just me, but as I was reading it, I wouldn't say I was annoyed, but I'm reminded and a little inured by the fact that I'm reading the same thing over and over and over and over again. It's being repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Crowd of arrows. Kind of like that. Right? Over and over and over again. When to me, it feels like it, it feels like all number seven had to do was just put verse 84 at somewhere around um, I don't know uh, verse 12. If you could just stick verse 84 in verse 12 and just delete all the stuff in between we get the idea, right? We got the idea. 12 leaders. We know their names. Why was it written this way? And what the Lord is really speaking into me today, and I just want to share this with you, but what the Lord is speaking into me as I'm reading this today is the Lord is reminding me that he cares about what we bring to him. What The, the silver platters were all the same weight. The silver bowls were all the same weight. The sacrifices were all the same for each one. 
every one of them, it sounded repetitive. And yet the scriptures give us each person's name and each person's sacrifice, each person's name and each person's sacrifice. And what I'm beginning to realize, even as I read this, is often when we look at the sacrifice, we look at it in its totality, you know, um, when you give to the church or, you know, uh, when you when you often when we when we hear about, you know, acts of generosity, we hear it in total. Right. You see someone in need and you give to them or you hear that this much money was given to this particular effort and this particular initiative or you hear these things and you hear them within the total number. But what I get from this text and what the Lord is really speaking into me about is my sacrifice matters. What I do matters. God sees my individual contribution. God sees you. He sees what you do. And often a lot of people, what they get to, they get, they get to verse 84 and they see, okay, the 12 leaders gave 12 platters, 12 silver bowls, 12 gold pans, and they each weighed 130 shekels. Okay. But God wanted you to hear each person's individual contribution because God sees each person's individual contribution. God sees what each and every one of us does. God sees the prayers that we pray for people. God sees the time that we spend with people. God sees the people that we go and visit. God sees the little things. And sometimes we look at the little things and we think the little things are just little. There's not much there. Nobody really cares about that. But God does. God sees it. It reminds me of the woman with the two mites. Numerically, not much, but God sees what she gave by a measure of what she had because she gave all that she had. God says her sacrifice was greater than everyone else's. It's funny because we often value the people who give the biggest gifts, but we don't value the people who make the greatest sacrifices. The billionaire that gives a million dollars, we say he's more generous But generosity is not based off of numerical value. Generosity is based off of proportion. God sees the little that you do because he knows the little that you do takes a lot from you. He sees your your capacity and he sees how you give near your capacity. The billionaire gives a million dollars. But you who gave just a, just a, a big chunk of your your time and your, your money and your effort, and maybe it's nothing compared to what a Bill Gates could give. And yet God sees more value in that than what someone who gave more has done. The widow's mites were more valuable. And I think for, for me, as I'm, as I'm reading this, I'm seeing even something in my own heart because I'm reading and I'm like, man, why'd you have this? I'm literally like, I'm, I'm talking to God as I was reading. I'm like, God, why, 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 why'd you have to, why couldn't you just give me all the names of the guys and just say they all gave this amount each, but that's not what the scripture shows me here. He, 
He looked at each one individually and he treated each one individually. She each sacrifice individually and, and iterated each sacrifice of each of those leaders individually as if no other leader had given. Because he wants us to see how important and how much he sees what we do and how we've given. God sees what you give. God sees your sacrifice. He sees what you do. He sees it. Um, I have one more thing to share. Um, I have a lot I would like to share. Um, another thing that sticks out to me, and I'll just share it real quick. In Numbers chapter 8, verse 19, right? The Levites that we just talked about, the Levites that we talked about, look what it says. It says um, in verse 19, and then I'll get to my last point. In verse 19, um, he says, and I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel, that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. He says, I've given the Levites as a gift, the priests who will mediate for the people were a gift. From the moment that they became priests, they weren't living for themselves anymore. Notice that their life now is what would prohibit the plague that would come upon the children of Israel. How they administer the sacrifice and how they administered the presence of God would be what would permit people to get near the presence of God. They carried the presence of God. They were chosen by God, but notice what happens here in verse 10. If I go up to verse 10, they were chosen by God, but notice what he, what he does is once God has chosen these people, there's a ceremony, there's a ceremonial cleansing, right? That happens. And then in verse 10, so you shall bring the Levites before the Lord and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. That scripture, you might have seen when I was reading it, blew my mind. I forgot it was there. The Levites, the ones who've been set aside, called to be the priests and the ministers of God, the Levites, notice who's laying hands on them. It wasn't the super sane bishop apostle. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't the master prophet. It wasn't Aaron. But there was an element of the communal affirmation of the Levites. The children of Israel laid their hands on them as well. Moses and those who stood at positions that were above them called them and anointed them. But the children of Israel laid hands on them and affirmed them. Ordination is not institutional. That's going to be tough for some people. Because we were taught, you know, to be ordained is to get licensed. No, there's licensing. You can be a licensed minister in a church. I'm in Numbers 8. 
You can be a licensed minister in a church, but being licensed doesn't mean you're ordained. Gonna hurt some feelings here. Being licensed doesn't mean that you are ordained. Just because you know some Bible, just because you graduated in seminary, just because you have a lot of information and insight and you have biblical knowledge and all that good stuff does not mean that you are ordained. You cannot be ordained by an institution. You can only be ordained by God. You can only be ordained by God. There's some people here who say, I'm going back to this priesthood because the Lord is really, really working, working this in me. To be ordained is to be called and to be called is to be equipped. Yes, you need to equip yourself, but there are people who are pastors who shouldn't be. It's just facts. There are people because they knew some Bible, people elevated them and put them in position. Just because you know Bible don't mean that you should be a pastor. And just because you have great insight in scripture doesn't mean that you should be a preacher or a minister or a leader. Knowing the Bible does not qualify you for ministry. Period. Facts. Done. And that's the travesty is we've made scriptural knowledge the qualification of of becoming a pastor and a leader. And that's why there's so much pain and so much suffering because your boy knew the word, but he did not have the calling. You say, well, he knew the word. That's why we put him in. The devil knows the word family. Satan knows the word. Would you make Satan the pastor of your church? Well, this person knows scripture better than everybody else. Don't make them a pastor. And for those of you who Sometimes there are those of us who yet we have not yet matured in our relationship with God. And yet, because now we think we know a few things about the Bible, we think now we can take charge. We can lead. We can be a leader now. We can be a faith leader. We can go and start our own church, go and start our own ministry, go and start our own thing and do our own thing. That is the devil. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. There are a bunch of people who are prematurely going into ministry who have biblical insight, but do not have spiritual awareness, who have not received the hand of God, who the, the Holy Spirit has not poured out upon them. They, they, they've been equipped, but they have not been called. And you have to be called, then equipped. David, we're going to get to that in 1 Samuel. David was anointed king. He didn't become king till decades later. Just because you're anointed or called to do something doesn't mean you fulfill that role right away. There are people who are going into ministry ahead of their time and in going ahead of their time, they set themselves up to, for failure. I see too many pastors now and too many leaders. It's an, it's an unfortunate thing because uh, um, we see pastors who, who, who disintegrate before their time because they were pushed in to a role that they weren't ready for just because they speak well or because, oh, look at that. This guy's a good preacher because just because you're a good preacher doesn't mean you're a good pastor. Preachers don't make pastors, period. And you don't need to be a good preacher to be a pastor. You need to know the scripture to be a good teacher. So I can't say that. You need to study your scripture to teach the scripture. And yet good teachers of scripture aren't necessarily pastors and leaders either. They're just teachers. They can teach scripture under the leadership of those who've been called to be leaders. I'm ranting, I'm ranting, I'm ranting, I'm ranting, I'm ranting. But ordination, going back to what I was saying, ordination 
is both a vertical affirmation and a horizontal affirmation. It's first God who ordained, and God had already ordained them. He called them, set them aside. But then there's a vertical affirmation. The children of God have to see it. The children of God have to see it. And here's where it's going to get really uncomfortable, family. Okay? Here's what's going to get really uncomfortable. For the pastors who say, what I heard from God, God called me into ministry. That's good. Congratulations. But if nobody else sees it, then you ain't ready yet. Let me say that one more time. Aspiring pastor, aspiring preacher, aspiring leader, whoever you are, if you have heard from God, and God has spoken to you and said, you're going to be a pastor or you're going to be a prophet or you're going to be a minister or you're going to be whatever you are and nobody sees it. Then you aren't ready yet. Sit your butt down. Continue to receive from God. Your time has not yet come. And anybody who's rushing into ministry obviously doesn't know what ministry brings. Ministry brings pain. It brings suffering. It brings strife. It brings sleepless nights. It is a fruitful thing, but it is a hard thing to do. And anybody who runs into ministry, I'm convinced that anybody who says, man, when am I going to finally be a pastor? Is a guy who is ignorant and doesn't know, doesn't know, doesn't know what he's about to get himself into. Nobody rushes to the cross. (laughs) No one rushes to the cross. Listen, Jason, I have to scare, I have to scare anyone who feels called into ministry. I have to, because if God is not dragging you into it, I don't know if you're doing it right. If you are eager, you don't know what you're getting into. You just do not know. Think about Jesus family. Oh, I'm ranting, I'm ranting. Think about Jesus for a moment, right? Jesus. The son of God, God in the flesh, who knew all things, was before all things, and in him all things consist. Jesus, who imagine what he knew in his 20s, what he was able to do in his mid-20s, what to do in his late 20s. Imagine Jesus, who gets to his early 30s, still has not yet stepped out, has not yet stood on a pulpit, has not yet spoken, has not yet started his ministry. Jesus did not start his ministry until his early 30s. If you think you're more gifted than Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm ranting. I'm just going to rant this. I'm going to rant it out. But if you think you're more gifted than Jesus, then you're not ready yet. You're definitely not ready. You'll never be ready. Man, I'm 25 years old now and I've studied and I got my degree and I got all this. I'm ready to go. Uh, Listen, listen, I'm not saying you can't start in in your 20s. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you're rushing into it, I have a way I feel about that. Because even Jesus, when Jesus' mother in Cana came to Jesus at the wedding of Cana. Listen to me, family. The mother of Jesus comes to Jesus at the wedding in Cana and says, hey, we got a little uh, wine problem. And Jesus is like, Woman, my time has not yet come. 
He's like, yo, don't, don't talk to me about this. See, Jesus' mother knew in private. There's only one reason why Jesus' mother would come to Jesus. It's because she's seen him do miracles in private. She, she's seen Jesus move in private. She's seen the things that Jesus was able to do. So she comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I need you to perform this miracle. And Jesus is like, woman, my time has not yet come. Jesus was not trying to rush to a platform. He was not trying to rush into a position. So when, when younger folks come to me and say, hey, you know, I feel called to ministry. Usually what I do is I just put them to the side and I say, all right, go ahead and uh, we'll see. I'm just going to watch you because if you got an itch to minister, I keep a distance from you. I like the one who he's like, man, I'm trying to run from this calling that God has given me, but here I am. That's the one I go, okay, let's do some work with you in private. Because if you can, if I can slow cook you into who God is calling you to be, man, you're going to move from power when you finally get there. I was dragged into ministry. My wife knows that. I had sleepless nights. I went to full-blown depressive states when I was called into ministry. I was like, I'm just going to be real with you. I, I, I talked to God like I talked to my friend, okay? I'm like, hell no, God. Nope, ain't me. You ain't calling me to ministry. It ain't going to be me. I love you and all, and I love your word. And listen, man, I'm okay with going to church on Sunday and serving wherever I can serve. I will do sound. I will clean. And that's what I did. I served the church I grew up in. I cleaned. I did sound. I was okay with uh, doing the yard work. I was okay with helping with the construction. I was okay with all of that. But I, they, he was like, well, can you speak today on the word? And I'll tell you right now, I remember when we had a meeting with a group and the group was like, hey, we're going to start a new service and we'd like you to be the preacher. For, no, we like to start a new service. And I, the first question I had for them was, who's going to do the preaching? And they were like, well, you know, maybe you could preach every now and then. I was like, no, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a communicator of the gospel. No, I, I don't communicate. Nope, that's not me. Ain't me. Nope, nope. Go find somebody else. I was dragged into ministry. Dragged. I tried to run. I tried to, everywhere I tried to go, and everything I tried to do just wouldn't work. I was stuck. And I thank God for it because this is where he's called me to be. So anybody, I'll tell you right now, <laughs> they don't believe you. Some people don't. People who know me and grew up with me know exactly what I'm talking about. I was depressed for months when I finally realized God was calling me to ministry. Depressed. I was like, no, God, I don't want it. I don't want it. And so I stayed. Now I heard from God and I didn't want it and I didn't want it and I didn't want it and I didn't want it. But everyone was seeing it in me. Not only was I hearing from God, but then I was hearing from everyone else. And I had not yet... I didn't have a platform. I didn't have an IG. I didn't have a TikTok. This was years ago. Nobody knew who I was. And yet people were looking at me like, yo, I see God in you. I see God in you. I see, man, I used to go to go to restaurants and people just come up to me and go, is God telling you something for me? And I'm like, wait, what? What are you talking about? It took others to see it. I heard it from God, still did not see it in me. And then I heard it from others. 
and even till this day, I'm gonna I'm gonna just make an admission. Even till this day, even till this day, I don't feel like I'm equipped to do this. Even till this day, I don't feel like I'm 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 qualified to do this. Even till this day, till this day, I question. God, am I doing this right? Do I? Do I? Do I really? Do I know what I'm doing? Do I know what I'm doing? I don't think I know what I'm doing, God. Even till this day. Even till this day. As much as, much as you know, people say, oh, pastor, I'm so blessed by your ministry, blessed by all this. And yet, even till this day, I wrestle with, I, I love you, Lord, and I love your people, and I don't want to lead your people astray, and I don't, am I doing this right? I don't know. I'm just going to keep loving your people, but... I don't think I'm good enough for this, God. I have that prayer at least once a week. Where I say, Lord, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm good enough for this. I don't think I deserve to be in this place. And it's just weird because I never wanted to be on social media. I never wanted to be on platforms. And yet every time I get on a platform, my platform grows. And I'm, guys, you have to understand. It's exciting and terrifying at the same time. You guys are are watching me finally. For those of you who don't know, I spent years just not starting any kind of social media platform. I had an IG. I just didn't post. I didn't put anything. I just, I literally was afraid to be seen and to be known. I was afraid of that family. I, I didn't want it. And even now, I don't know what to do with it. And yet, my platform keeps growing and it keeps growing and I'm like I'm not trying to grow but I'm just submitting to this is the this is what the Lord's calling me to do right now so I'm just going to do it and that's what I'm doing but family I want you to understand this that if you are called this is for anybody who considers him a pastor or prophet or teacher or is starting a ministry if you're the only one who sees it you ain't ready yet if you have to make other people see it you're not ready yet so sit your butt down sit on down because trust me when the time comes you're going to be dragged into it stop itching for titles and positions we are all priests. No one's above another. I'm not a, I'm not above anybody here. I want to make sure everybody understands that. God has called me to help equip you and to grow and to develop you. I'm here to serve you. That's all I'm here to do. I'm not above you. As a matter of fact, I have to position myself beneath you. I'm here to serve you. But my goodness, if it ain't time yet, sit, sit down. Trust me, you will thank me later for that advice. I thank God that I kept running because almost every person who started ministry before me and said that, you know, man, you need to be preaching. You need to be this. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. And I was like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay right here. Go ahead and do your ministry thing. Go ahead and build your platform. A lot of them are not even in ministry anymore because they started before their time. And so the Levites... Man, I'm out of time. Oh my gosh, it's almost 9.30. Ellison is right, okay? Ellison is right. He's right. I take two. I take forever. I take a long time. I think I think my son for his patience when he hears me rant. 
but he needs to hear this as well. Because if God is calling you to ministry and you feel called by it, you you get dragged into it. You don't wait. Moses didn't chase after it. Joshua didn't chase after it. Think about all the leaders who were called into, into roles. Most of them said, I don't feel like I'm ready to do this and I can do this. If you feel like you're ready and that you can and that you're better and that you're ready to go, there's already something wrong there. There's something wrong there. And you need to ask God to correct that part of your heart. He needs to humble you because you do one thing you do not want to be humble. You do not want to be humbled with the platform. Huh, I'll tell you that. If you got some sin issues going on in your life, you got some stuff that you're dealing with, you do not want to be humbled with a platform. Because the whole world is going to see your mess. The whole world is going to see what's what's not right with you. The whole world is going to see what 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 you know, every one of your shortcomings, every one of your misgivings. The whole world is going to see that. Don't chase that. Don't chase your platform. Let the Lord work in you let him do when it's your time and then i'm gonna give my last point when it is your time okay when it is your time you won't be able to stop it you won't be able to hold that train back when it is your time you're not gonna have to force anything guys I have a TikTok. I'm about to hit 300,000 followers, guys. Ask me if I'm knowing what I if I know what I'm doing on TikTok. I have no idea what I'm doing on TikTok. I just pray on there and I share words of encouragement. I don't feel like, you know, yes, the Lord has gifted me, but it's not any different than what I was doing before. This is who I've always been. This is what I've always done. And yet through just a simple action, things are ha- I can't stop what God is doing in my life. I can't stop it. I can't stop what God is doing in my IG. I can't stop what God is doing in my ministry. I can't stop it because this is the time that God wants to move. So when God wants to do something through you, you can't stop him. Don't force anything. Don't push anything. Don't try to make deals with people that you don't need to be making. Don't try to force things. This, ha- this, is, this is true for your marriage. It's true for anything that you're called into. If you've got, it doesn't mean you don't have to work hard, but if you have to force things to happen, you got to force a marriage and ain't it stop it if you got to force your business and ain't it if you have to force a ministry it ain't it if you've got to force things in order for god to move it ain't it sit back watch let the lord do the work through you yes he said my name will be lifted up i will draw all men unto me just keep lifting up the name when they come they will come when they come let them come side note i'm sorry ranting I'm ranting, y'all. Last for, last thing, and I'm done, because I got to go. Last thing. In Numbers chapter 9, verse 20, you guys read it, so I'm not going to spend all this time on it, but in Numbers chapter 9, verse 20, so it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped, and according to the command of the Lord, they would journey they're finally leaving now Now, that's where I want to end up to this point they have not left the mountain and now they are finally getting up and they're leaving to go to the land that was promised and this is my closing thought notice what the scripture says as they leave to navigate through the wilderness 
They stopped when God stopped. They went when God went. When the cloud was above the tabernacle, they stayed. When the cloud was lifted up, they moved. What am I saying? I'm saying, enjoy the presence. That's my closing thought. That's what I'm going to call this podcast episode. Enjoy the presence. Wherever God is calling you, his presence is more important. I don't care if God is calling you to um, to start the next multi-billion dollar business, multi-million dollar business, whatever it is. I don't care if God's calling you to start a one million people ministry or the next biggest nonprofit to ever exist. God's calling you to those things. If you don't enjoy the presence of God, you may get ahead of God and lose sight of where God's leading you. They would not leave without his presence. And they continue, the children of Israel continue to persist and navigate through the wilderness with his presence. Because in between where you are and what's promised to you is a wilderness. And sometimes we think we need to move faster and faster and we're running out of time and we got to hustle, hustle, hustle. No, there are some moments where God is saying, be still and know that I am God. Stop. And if my pre- if if God's presence is here, it is not unproductive to just sit in his presence. It's not unproductive to just sit there and do nothing. Go nowhere. It's not unproductive to just say, well, this is where God is right now in my life. This is where I will stay. I know God is calling me into this thing right now, but right now he's here. And I'm not dragging God. I'm not going to drag God to where I believe he's calling me. If God's not there yet, it's because he doesn't, it's because he doesn't want me there yet. So if God's presence is here, stay there. Sit in his presence. I don't care if you've got a huge vision with all these things that God wants to do and through you. If he's here, stay here. His presence is better than the success anyway. (laughs) Canaan isn't that good without the presence of God. So if God is here, rest in him. Yeah, that's right. Rest in him. Lean on him. Sit in this presence. Sit in it. Whoo. And and, and sometimes it gets uncomfortable. Because like, man, I feel like I'm not doing anything. I'm not going where. God moves differently. He doesn't move like the world. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. While you think you're sitting there and you're being unproductive, God just wants you to practice his presence. Stay in prayer, in worship. Seek his face. If you're in a job you don't like, seek his face. Trust me, the moment God moves, go. God moves, go. But as long as God's presence is here, better move. You better stay right there. Stay right there. It's good right now. It's good right now. Love you, fam. Love you all. Enjoy the presence. 
I'll see you guys tomorrow. We're going to be reading Numbers chapter 9, and I'll see y'all tomorrow. So, no, not Numbers chapter 9, sorry. Numbers chapter 11. I love you all. Enjoy the presence. Seek the presence. As a matter of fact, where you find the presence, that's where you'll be led by his spirit. Father, I thank you for each and every one of of all the people from around the world right now who are gathered right now in the reflection of the word, to read the word and to reflect on the word. Father, I pray that you would bless them. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And I know, Lord, that you have so many blessings in store for your people. So bless them in this time, Father. Bless them as they navigate through this day. Bless them, Lord, as they seek your presence in all that they do. Lord, teach us, even as we're here, Lord, to or sit in your presence, to just enjoy your presence, to know, Lord, that your presence is good enough. And we ask that. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>